Hello everyone, it's Mark Godeka here. Welcome to the NT Pod, the podcast all about the New Testament and Christian origins. It's episode 59 and today we're looking at criteria in the search for the historical Jesus. At the time of recording in February 2012, I'm teaching a course at Duke on the historical Jesus. It's one of my regular course offerings here at Duke and I thoroughly enjoy teaching it, not least because it makes you think about how you communicate, not just stuff about Jesus, but stuff about the search for the historical Jesus. How do you go about doing historical Jesus research? And classically, the way that historical Jesus scholars have gone about their task is to employ a whole bunch of criteria in Jesus research, to take a whole bunch of tests, if you like, and to hold up each each tradition in the Gospels and in other literature, and to take those traditions and to subject them to certain tests. To, and, and if they pass, then you can put them in a pile which you might broadly label authentic traditions or traditions that are more likely to be authentic. And then another pile which you would say are inauthentic traditions or traditions that are less likely to be authentic. And learning about these criteria has become a key part of the historical Jesus student's task. I suppose, as usual, the best way of explaining what's going on in the use of these historical Jesus criteria is to illustrate how they work. So I'll take one really famous criterion, at least amongst historical Jesus scholars, and it's a criterion which people call the criterion of embarrassment. And the idea of this criterion is that there are certain traditions that find their way into the Gospels which look like they would have been quite embarrassing to early Christians. And if they were embarrassing, then they're unlikely to have made them up because you don't make up stuff that is a little bit embarrassing. You're more trying to hide from those things that are a little bit embarrassing. So the key example of of a tradition that was a bit embarrassing to the early church is said to be the idea that um, Jesus was baptised by John the Baptist. Uh, Why was this embarrassing? For for several reasons. One is that in Mark's Gospel, John's baptism is said to be announced bold and proud at the beginning of Mark's Gospel. John's baptism is said to be a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then the very next thing you're seeing as soon as you hear this is Jesus coming for baptism. And you can imagine why a lot of early Christians would have thought that this was a little bit strange, a bit worrying, because here is Jesus, who is already proclaimed by lots of early Christians as having no sin, or having not committed sin, or dying for people's sins. Here he is coming to John the Baptist for baptism. And the thinking here is that this passes this criterion of embarrassment because it's not the kind of thing that anybody would have made up. They're more trying to apologise for the tradition or do the best that they can at putting a positive spin on the tradition. It's not the kind of thing that someone's going to kind of make up. And it's said that you can see how the early Christian writers are dealing with this embarrassment in their own different ways. So in Mark's gospel, the the baptism of Jesus by John is turned into a kind of divine epiphany where the Holy Spirit comes and descends on Jesus and he hears this voice coming from the heavens. The heavens are torn open and God says, this is my beloved son 
in whom I'm well pleased. And so the, the scene, if you like, detracts attention from the more troubling element, which is John baptizing Jesus and draws attention instead to the whole business of God speaking to Jesus and affirming him as his son. And then in Matthew's gospel, which is... I think, and most other people think, is, is using Mark. In Matthew's Gospel, you get an extra little bit of dialogue between John the Baptist and Jesus, where John almost wants to refuse Jesus's baptism. He says, look, you know, it should be the other way around. And you get a little conversation there to draw attention to the fact that the evangelist is perhaps uncomfortable with this idea of the baptism of Jesus by John. And in Luke's Gospel, even more curiously, the baptism actually takes place or is narrated after the evangelist Luke has narrated the arrest of John. So there's a kind of disconnection even between John the Baptist and Jesus there. And in John's Gospel, the baptism isn't, isn't narrated at all. You, you still have the epiphany, the, the, the dove descending on Jesus, and you still have John the Baptist, but you don't have any mention that Jesus was baptised by John. So what a lot of New Testament scholars say is you can see these early Christian writers a little bit embarrassed by the tradition that they nevertheless feel obliged to retain in their Gospels. That's, that's the criterion of embarrassment, that the evangelists are kind of trying to deal with something that they are a little bit troubled by. Well, I've got some problems with the idea of the criterion of embarrassment, which I'll come to in due course. But let me illustrate as well the way that the criteria work by mentioning one of the other most popular ones in historical Jesus studies. And it's the idea of multiple attestation. Multiple attestation is all about traditions that are multiply attested. Surprise, surprise. I mean, traditions that come many, many times in different witnesses. And it's a kind of common sense criterion, isn't it? Because the more often that something is attested, then the more likely it is to be something that witnesses to at least a primitive tradition. It means that the more independent sources refer to something, the less likely it is that any one of those has actually made this tradition up. And in fact, lots of Jesus scholars would say that the previous, previously discussed example of Jesus's baptism also satisfies this criterion, the criterion of multiple attestation, because they'll say, well, it happens, uh, the baptism of Jesus happens in Mark's gospel, and it happens in Q, which is uh, many people hold independent of Mark's gospel. And so there you get sort of different independent witnesses witnessing to that same tradition. So multiple attestation, another really key criterion in Jesus studies, and the baptism of Jesus satisfies that criterion rather nicely. But what are we actually doing here when we working when we're working with these criteria? What's actually going on? I think a large part of it is that these criteria are means of training the new student in how to think like a historian. You see, the, the problem with so much work on the Bible is that people bring to that work all sorts of baggage that they wouldn't bring if they were doing work on other ancient historical texts. And one of the things about the criteria is that they help you to think through how to approach these ancient texts as an historian. And therefore, when I'm teaching this stuff, I like to draw attention to the criteria as a means of learning how to react 
to text like an ancient historian because quite often especially if you come from a christian background from a faith background you're inclined to treat the text as sacred text and to give them a kind of privileged status one of the things that the criteria do is they help you to kind of break that down to treat them a little bit more like witnesses that need to be cross-examined. So you're setting yourself up in this situation as a historian that is examining texts and these criteria just train you or help you to think through how to react to these different uh, texts. It's why one of my favourite discussions of the whole criteria issue occurs in Ed Sanders and Margaret Davis's book on studying the Synoptic Gospels because they do it as a means of explaining to the new student how to do work on the historical Jesus. They don't just dive in and start working on this stuff. They do a little bit of training you in how to behave as a historian. And that, I think, is the real value of lots of what's going to go on with these uh, criteria when you're doing historical Jesus work. But having said that, I think that there can then be problems when one tries to make historical Jesus criteria, like multiple attestation, like the criterion of embarrassment, do too much. When you take them beyond the introductory student level into mainstream work on the historical Jesus. Because after all, historians don't work with a great big tool bag of criteria. Historians don't, you know, hold up a tradition and say, OK, let's kind of dig into the bag and find, see if we can find a criterion that satisfies this tradition. I just don't think that's how historians work a lot of the time. History is much more complex than that. It's more nuanced, it's more detailed. We're looking at things in all sorts of different ways. And so I think we have to be a little bit careful about the way that we react to these kind of criteria. They can be terribly wooden. They can be excuses often not to think very clearly. And worst of all, sometimes what historians of the of the of the New Testament do, sometimes what historical Jesus scholars do, is they'll take a tradition that they rather like the look of subjectively and then they'll find some criteria that, that that they can use to make it sound like it's more plausibly historical. So the, the criteria are often uh, applied after the fact rather than before the fact. So the sort of appearance of science, the appearance of a sort of scientific validity to what they're doing is often just an appearance it becomes a kind of illusion and the the the, the alleged sort of scientific process is rather uh, rather vanishes as you begin to look carefully at the way that historical jesus scholars employ these things at times and i must admit the more i think about historical jesus criteria the more i wonder about how self-contradictory they can be i deliberately chose multiple attestation and embarrassment and that story about about John's baptism because I think that they illustrate quite well how different criteria can if you look at them a bit more closely be rather self-contradictory because who really was embarrassed about traditions if they're at the same time attesting them multiply I mean if, if, if I'm embarrassed about something I prefer not to talk about it quite frankly and uh, the idea that John's baptism for example is both very embarrassing to early Christians and something they keep preaching from the housetops and put right on the at the beginning of each of their gospels seems to me rather bizarre and and you know you might say it's only in New Testament studies that you would end up with that kind of situation I'm oversimplifying a little bit of course and um, what I'd like to do is investigate this whole business of historical Jesus criteria in a little bit more detail in some forthcoming episodes of the NT pod 
And so I hope you'll bear with me and we'll take some of the criteria in a little bit more detail in due course. And I hope you'll stay with me for those. But thanks in the meantime for listening to this uh, latest episode. Sorry, it's been a while since we've had an episode of the NT Pod. Busy, busy, busy as always. But hopefully we're back to a more regular schedule of uh, releases now. But uh, thanks again for your company. Look forward to being with you again soon. You can find me, by the way, on uh, the web at podacre.blogspot.com or pop over to the Facebook NT Pod page or uh, search for me on Twitter. Always good to have your company. See you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye bye.